Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test? The nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture? Welcome to another Everyday Life series on decoding how God thinks about work, money, business, investing, and leadership. Biblical principles from Genesis to Revelation. It's under our Everyday Life category. 
You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. In our first series of decoding, we looked at decoding creation, God's thought processes and patterns through creation from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we arrived at a 10 principle combination that will revolutionize how you think. In this next series of decoding, we'll look at how God thinks about work, money, business, investing, and leadership through the life and story of Joseph, also from the book of Genesis. Joseph's life changed the course of Israel. It was through him that God preserved the nation of Israel. Israel wasn't yet a nation per se. It was just a family of 12 siblings. The letter grew into the nation of Israel in Egypt. Some of the life principles we'll cover in this decoding series are our upbringing and past shouldn't define us. Knowing your purpose and calling is the best anchor to go through the storms of life. In life, we need favor and love with both God and man. There are no coincidences in life. God's justice system never fails. We'll also look at work and service, money, and how the economy of Egypt was built from the ground up. We'll also look at investing, saving, leadership, and management. Without further ado, welcome to Decoding Joseph. series on decoding joseph this is episode 19 and we are getting some unique insights into how god thinks about work money business investing and leadership 
through the life and story of this character called Joseph from the book of Genesis. Now, there are about 11 key life principles to decode from the story of Joseph. And right now we are decoding principle category number two, which is what is your purpose? What is your calling? Why are you here during this time, this age, this generation? Why did God put you on the earth? Why did he schedule you to come to the earth at this time? You know, it's not just a fluke that you're here. So we are on this journey of really trying to figure out how can you figure out your calling? So in our last episode, we really ended on uh, on a very high note, I believe, because we really dive deep into you know, callings, natural gifts, spiritual gifts, and skills as well. You know, we talked about gifts and talents, talked about that you have natural gifts, the spiritual gifts. Then we talked about skills. There was quite a bunch of things that were really interesting subject matter that we dived into. So seeing that that crescendo really built up towards the end there, I would love to, you know, spend a couple of minutes really, you know, recapping some of that stuff, some of the things we discussed in the, in our last episode. And then today, my main emphasis, hopefully, would be to show you that according to scripture, scripture uses the word calling. And that's why I've separated that even in our last episode, I said, if your dream does not line up under your calling, then you need to know that a calling is higher than a dream. And so today we'll look through scripture and we'll see that um, these callings that were given out, we have callings according to scripture, and then we have giftings according to scripture, and then we also have skill sets, right? So once again, uh, the emphasis really being that you're not here as a mistake. You know, if you believe in evolution, then I don't really have much to offer you. But for those of us who believe that uh, we're not here by any mistake, by just uh, evolving from you know, amoebas or evolving from chimpanzees and things of that nature. Some of us who have how our eyes have been opened to understand that uh, we've been created, that we have a heavenly father, that there is an eternal God, uh, Jehovah, Elohim, everlasting God. So for those of us who believe, and maybe perhaps you may not believe in the God of the Bible, but you believe that there is a higher power. You know, some people are at that level where they say, yeah, we're not here by mistake. You know, we were created, but they're still searching. Perhaps this could offer you some value. But anyways, uh, once again, I love to kind of uh, open up with this beautiful Psalm, Psalm 139, that talks about how um, God's perfect knowledge of man Psalm 139, my emphasis will be verses 13 to 16, 
that talks about that says for you did form my inward parts you did knit me together in my mother's womb i will confess and praise you for you are fearfully and wonderful and the awful wonder of my birth wonderful are your works and that my inner self knows right well my frame was not hidden from you actually in other translation says for i am fearfully and wonderfully mad it says you found my innermost being let me use this other translation it says you found my innermost being shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb i thank you god for making me so mysteriously complex everything you do is marvelously breathtaking it simply amazes me to think about it how thoroughly you know me O oh lord you even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place carefully skillfully you shaped me from nothing to something you saw who created me to be before i became me before i'd ever seen the light of day the number of my days you planned for me were already the number of the days you planned for me were already recorded in your book you know so it says the days of my life all prepared before i'd even leave one of them so again this sets the foundation that god has planned out a destiny for you and i also did say in in the last couple of episodes that god's destiny is higher than what you think you can achieve you can plan for yourself i say that even the people you might look at as famous as rich wealthy billionaires athletes celebrities i say that you cannot tap out god none of these people have tapped out god meaning that none of them has lived a life that matches what god ordained for them it's 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 it um it, you would have to have been in alignment from the day you were born and your parents would have had to have received some kind of blueprint even before you came in and from the day you were born they set you on that path so the people you might look out you might look at out there in the world thinking they are the big shot none of them has tapped out god god is infinite how do you tap out someone who can come up with infinite plans and god likes to show off majestically his wonder so god never does things on a small scale even when you look at a small creature in its world of um in its world in its context for instance you might look at an ant and you say that an ant is something that is not even worthy of you know you might look at a lion and you might think that a lion is the best thing that you know like a lion is majestic and unhonorable and i i mean it's it's this creature that showcases the amazement of like god's creative power and then you look at the eagle how it soars high but then you look at some birds that do not have that power you know they're not as fast as aggressive as a lion but the colors on their bodies, on their feathers, you know, the peacock. Then you look at the gentleness of a flamingo. And, and then you look at, 
um, creatures like an ostrich. So God has created every creature that is just, he, you know, he's given all of them um, amazing capabilities and, and things that are, I mean, uh, there's a proverb that talks about how that ants have no ants have no king, but somehow they are able to come together in unity and 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 you know gather all their food in the summer. Yeah, it's a proverb here. Let me let me see if I can find it. One of the man, one of the proverbs says. He talks about uh, seven things that still, you know, seven things that amazed him when he looked at creation. Um, let, let me let me let me find let me quickly find it here. It says, <laughs> um, he says, it's very interesting. Okay. Let me read Proverbs chapter 30 uh, from verses 24. It says, there are four things which are little upon the earth. Okay. This is again to show you that in every context, God has placed uh, thought and purpose and amazing intent and even the creatures we look at as a small for them, God has empowered them in their small micro universe. So Proverbs chapter 30 verses 24 say some interesting things. It says, yeah, Proverbs chapter 30. That's what I want. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 24. That's what I'm looking for. It talks about four things. So you're going to see a contrast of things that are grandiose and things that are small, but they're still amazing. For Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24, he says, There are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. He says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. It says, the rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. He's basically saying, um, the conies, yeah. It says, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. He's like, how is this possible? Then he goes on to say, the locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. Then another one says, The spider takes hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. <laughs> then I love this. In verse 29, it says, uh, it says, there, it says, There are three things which go well, yet, for a comely in going. It says, there are three things which are majestic in pace. It says, yes, four which are stately in walk. It 
says, a lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. Then he says, a greyhound, a he-goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. So it's talking about the majestic walk of these creatures. It says, a lion, a greyhound, a male god, says, and a king whose troops are with him. Wow. So that was to say that um, whether it's on a macro scale or a micro scale, uh, God has put so much purpose and thoughts and plans that you can't tap him out. Okay. With that being established, we spoke about the the first thing that I really, most people, when we're talking about destiny, um, scripture uses the words uh, destiny, uses the word calling. Dreams, if you look through scripture, dreams are actually a vehicle of communication. You know, I was looking at uh, phrases where we see the word dream. You know, most people say, I have a dream. And, you know, we know that famous speech. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is that Scripture uses a calling as this thing that God has destined for everyone. A calling is something that calls you to action. You know, that's what we also uncovered in our last episode. A calling is a call to action. If you look through scripture, the word dream appears about 87 times, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for the most part, it is not used in the context of like a dream, meaning like God has given, you know, like he is like a, when you read through scripture, the word dream or dreams is used as a medium of communication from God to people, you know, God talking to people through dreams. People have dreams about, you know, things, you know, that are going to happen in their lives or things that have happened in their lives. Or so dreams from, from a biblical scripture standpoint, dreams are actually more, it's a vehicle of communication, dreams and visions. Okay. Now, with that, with, with, that, with that in mind, um, I couldn't really find anywhere where a dream is used as a placeholder for a calling. So it, it, it's still all throughout those 87 times that it appears. It's mainly used in the context of a vehicle of communication. Now, a calling what we really uncovered in in couple in the last episode especially one of the things they say is that the bigger picture is this the the, the 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 context of a calling why why are they why are they callings is because if you look at scripture from genesis to revelation there's one theme that cuts across all the way from the book of beginnings genesis to revelation and it's called 
redemption. Because at the beginning of creation, God has a plan for man. And we, in fact, touched on the types of the first call to action man received at the beginning when God created him. And by man in the Bible, man refers to both male and female. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28, we saw that God said, let us make, verses 26 to 8, we say that we saw that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. It says, and God blessed them and God said unto them, these were the first five call to actions, the, 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 the mandate. This is called the Eden mandate. That was the first call to action. That was the first calling man ever received is the Eden mandate. Because God said unto them, be fruitful, one, multiply, two, replenish, three, subdue, four, and have dominion, five. Okay. God's plan gets interrupted because we know, as the scriptures say, man is created and moved into the Garden of Eden. We said the Garden of Eden was a prototype from heaven, which man was supposed to take and, and make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden. Okay. However, that plan was disrupted. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 by the serpent. Who was the serpent? The serpent was actually... Satan possessed the creature called the serpent. Satan, old name, Satan or the devil, but his original name before he became Satan or the devil was Lucifer. Lucifer was one of the highest ranking angels in the kingdom of heaven, but he was cast out because of pride. Once again, there's a story in that. Scripture even says there was a war in heaven. But Satan and some of his angels that had rebelled were cast out. So when they came onto the earth, uh, they were not happy that God had created this earth and put man in charge of it. So what they did is that they knew that the same thing that kicked them, caused them to be separated from God, which is pride and disobedience, pride, uh, if they could inject that venom into God's creature, man, who had been created in God's own image, then they, God's plan wouldn't come to be. Now, there was jealousy. Why was there jealousy? We see this in Psalm chapter 8. It talks about even the angels and everyone was wondering and saying, why have you created this being in your own image? Why? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Again, I'm just laying some groundwork for callings, but I want to give you some context for you to understand that right now, all callings are pretty much under the umbrella of redemption. And so in Psalms chapter 8, it talks about man is God's marvelous creation. It says, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
who has set thy glory above the heavens. Since out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength because of thine enemies, that you may steal the enemy and the avenger. So, if you actually read that, you understand that when people are created, when beings come, in fact, it's so powerful because even little babies, they tell you from the outset, you can see the, you know, when babies are born, it says out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength. So babies are born with strength, but you may not recognize it. Those baby cries already, God is setting in motion, sort of like a redemptive plan, right? Even in babies, because it says you have ordained strength because of thine enemies that you may steal the enemy and the avenger. It's talking about Satan. Now, the psalmist here says, the psalmist being David, he says in verse 3, he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, this is the question that even all the angels and Satan, this is what drove them crazy about this human being called man. Says in verse 3, it says, it says, in verse 3, it says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. It says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now, it says, it says you've made him a little lower than God. That's the original translation in the Hebrew. It says you have made man a little lower than God. It says and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Here, you remember the Eden mandate that I read in Genesis chapter one, where God said, "Let them let them be fruitful and multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion." In verse six, David says. You have made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. Then he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Wow. So you see there that the psalmist is actually reminding us of the Eden mandate that I just read in, in the book of Genesis. Now, so God's plan is interrupted. So now God is on a rescue mission. So every spirit ever since the day of Adam, ever since the fall of man, Every human being that was sent into this earth was basically sent on a rescue mission because of the fall of man. So we are all, it's very interesting because um, at the end of this age, when the new world, you know, the Bible and the book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth. When a new heaven and a new earth is formed, um, we are in that dimension of existence and life, 
our mandate is actually going to go back to the Eden mandate. So we're going to go back to the Eden mandate. You know, and we will no longer be on a rescue mission. So um, that is all. Oh, I really want this. As I, as I always like to say, it's very interesting because sometimes, you, you know, I come on air with some things I want to talk about and the Holy Spirit just hijacks the microphone. So and prompts me to say things that I didn't even plan on saying. So I don't know why I'm talking about uh, the second, the new world, you know, the new heaven and the earth. But basically, even the book of Revelation just really paints a small, gives us some information on what we should expect in the new world, in you know, in the new world to come, the new heaven and the new earth. But until then, in this lifetime of existence, what basically is happening, God is on a rescue mission, he's on a redemptive plan. So all of us, that's our mantra. That's pretty much our call to action. Now, there, one of the things we touched about, on, we say that this, this is the hierarchy, is that the hierarchy is a calling. And then you have what you call gifts. Gifts are what you use to accomplish your calling. Now, you have gifts, but you have what we call talents, you know, gifts or talents. Now, some of them are natural abilities, so you can have natural gifts or natural, natural talents, the things that come, you know, easy to you. But I also say that now we, all, we also have spiritual gifts. God equips people with spiritual gifts. That is, the people who make the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, their Lord and Savior, is they have access to what we call spiritual gifts. And we read some of those spiritual gifts. We looked at them in the previous episode. So you have callings, you have gifts or talents, and when when you talk about gifts, when you talk about gifts and talents, you have what I call, you have two types. You have natural gifts, and then you also have spiritual gifts. Then I also say you have what we call skills, skill sets. Skills, these are things that you acquire through training, you know, like at school and so forth. So there, in the, the last episode, I touched on the six types of callings that you see through scripture. And we find those in the book of Jeremiah chapter one. Basically, uh, we, are, we, we are now, um, so yeah, Jeremiah chapter one, we see God speak to Jeremiah, a prophet, and tell him that, hey, in chapter four, no, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10, and I read. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then Jeremiah responded to God and said, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Then God counted him and said, Say not, I am a child, for you will go to all that I will send you. 
and whatsoever I command you, you will speak. Be, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 10 is where I, I always like to say this is a great starting point of understanding the callings that God sends, you know, that, that God has put in place for his redemptive plan. In verse 10 says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. To do what? He tells us, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So those are kind of six type of umbrella callings you see in scripture. So everything, whatever skill set you can acquire, whatever talents you have, they all can be correlated to these types of um, callings. Now, there are, in, in Psalms chapter 82, we see the Lord Father call us, you know, kind of give us a nudge and say, hey, wake up, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Let us look at that again. In Psalms, in Psalm 82, it tells us the current state, it, it paints a picture of the current state of the world that we live in. And both you and I cannot disagree. But more specifically, once again, we're talking about the, the types of callings that we have seen that, the God, that God put out to us, root out, pull down, throw down, destroy, plant, and build. And you can see that four out of those six are more like, you know, kind of like, what, what, what's the phrase that I'm looking for here? It's kind of like, in order to plant and build, you really need to get rid of like the junk, the old stuff, the, the weeds. So four out of those six are like, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, but you, you, you probably get my point. But one of the things it says is that it doesn't mean that maybe one of your call callings might be to throw down. It doesn't mean that you can't be a builder or a planter or and while you're also pulling down, you know. So we could really get into the I want you to, I want you to use your imagination when I talk about rooting out, pulling down, destroying and throwing down. Many a times rooting out would be like let's say if there were weeds, you know, if you were rooting out old systems, if you're rooting out uh immorality, if you're rooting out um racial bias or things of that nature. So basically there's, there's an understanding that what you're rooting out is from the roots. You know, it's kind of like from the ground. It's like you're pulling things out. Then if you look at pulling down, 
um, that paints this picture that there is, uh, it could be forces of oppression that are kind of set above people that are stopping people from advancing higher in careers and whatever it is. It's kind of like a ceiling has been put up, has been put, a canopy has been put over people and they can't advance in society, cultures, or family. So that can be used in the context of pulling that down. Now, destroying, in essence, you could also think about it as um, destroying could be walking into, let's say, uh, a, a dangerous territory. Okay. If you look at root out and pull down, it's more of a vertical action. You know, root out, pull down. It's in a vertical dimension. Okay. Destroying and throwing down are actually in more of the are more of in like a horizontal and cyclic dimension. So I just want to paint some images. I just want to paint some images for you because when the Bible is talking about you know rooting out, pulling down, destroying, and throwing down. I want you to understand the dimensions in which it's talking about it, uh, in which you are, in which you're dealing with forces of resistance that are preventing uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost from 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 ha from taking from taking root. So, in fact, perhaps what we can do is, I always love when some other translations perhaps help give us more understanding. So let me find some other translations and see some other words that we see here. Jeremiah chapter one, verses 10, because I want to make sure that we, we get this right, that, that I give you more understanding. So this is what some other translation says. See, I have appointed this day, I have this day appointed you to the, to the oversight of the nations and the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. So once again, we're seeing the four dimensions of forces that can be against any advancement of culture, of 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 the of the kind of lifestyle that God ordained for us in the Eden mandate. So there's a dimensionality aspect when you talk about rooting out and pulling down. That's in a, 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 a vertical dimension. Destroying and overthrowing is more horizontal and circular. I'll say more horizontal and circular. So with that being said. Let us look at Psalm 82 because it, it tells us the state and the, of the world. And, and you and I would both agree. Psalm 82 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. 
he judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Then he says, Sela, meaning ponder on it. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Then he goes on to say, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. You see, once again, this is all in this line of pull down, root out, destroy, throw down. Because there's systems that have caused this situation. These policies that have caused a need for us to defend the poor and the fatherless and the afflicted and the needy. It says, deliver the poor and the needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. So it's saying, guys, there's wickedness in your land. I need you to get back to Eden. Then this is what it says. It says, they know not, neither will they understand. Since they walk on in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Now you can see why, if you now bring in the context of those types of callings, you can see why. It says, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. From God's perspective, so for us right now, you might think that, oh, well, all is well. Probably very few people think that all is well in our in our world right now. But God's perspective is saying the foundations of the earth are out of course. In fact, not just a few. He says all of them. Then he reminds us, he says, I have said you are gods and all of you are children of the most high. He says, but you will die like men and fall like one of the princes. So, that should really paint a, a clear picture of why the big picture of this is a redemptive plan. You know, that's why Jesus was sent onto the earth. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sent his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, that was a redemptive plan. It still is the main redemptive plan. God wants to restore his family back to him because that was interrupted, messed with by Satan, who was formerly Lucifer. So, and once Satan left the heavenly realms and started dwelling on the earth, it talks about how much destruction Satan had already caused. And one of the things I did mention, I don't know if it was in the last episode or the one before the last episode, was that in the book of Genesis, it talks about in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What I want you to understand is that we are actually living in a refurbished heaven and earth. It says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. However, between this verse, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, 
that says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of the God and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's eons of time. We don't know. Between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So the story or account that we are presented with in Genesis 1, in the book of Genesis, is a refurbishment of the original earth, the heaven and the earth. Because Satan, Satan's arrival was not when Adam and Eve were created. He had already been on the earth and caused destruction and moved everything out of alignment. So, you know, I'll perhaps just give us a little bit of um, biblical, his, you know, history. So a lot of people won't, don't know this, but a lot of people think that even perhaps some Christians, a lot of Christians do not know that this is a refurbished earth, you know, that a lot of things had happened. So when you hear about scientists say things like the universe is, what is it, 14 billion years and the earth is 4.3 billion years, uh, it actually could be even way older than that. But they are not essentially the fossil record doesn't lie. So for them, when they see when they excavate bones and things of that nature and 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 creatures that look like human beings, yes, the fossil record doesn't lie. This new earth, have this new earth, which is refurbished, because you can see clearly in the book of Genesis, chapter one, that this earth, by the time we arrive on the scene in the book of Genesis, it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was water had covered this surface. And it's because the earlier creation of God was wiped out by a flood because it had been corrupted again by who? Satan, formerly Lucifer. A lot of nasty things had happened on this earth and God wiped out that creation that had been corrupted. So we see a second flood that happens in the book of Genesis. Again, the earth is corrupted because there's a lot of wickedness and immorality. Um, this is in Genesis chapter 6. And so in Genesis chapter 6, it says, it says, and it came to pass when the when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Here, it says, Verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it, repent, it repents me that I have made them. Now, uh, I'm, I'm really getting into some stuff of, you know, maybe this episode will be an episode of us really understanding some historical context so that you can know why, why are you here? I really want you to understand you're not here by a mistake. There is a redemptive plan in action. Now, someone might look at the scriptures just to say, why would God destroy man? So God created man and angels started to, these spirits started having uh, relationships, these spirits that had been cast out of heaven, they started to have relationships with natural women. They started to have sex with them. And so that's what gave birth to giants because angelic blood was mixed with man's blood. And it formed these creatures that are called um, Nephtalims. Creatures that were like 15 feet tall. Angelic blood, angelic DNA was mixed with human DNA. It says there were giants on the earth. However, these were the spirits that had been, you know, some of them were spirits. Some of them were, uh, there was different categories of spirits, actually. Um, all of them were in different, some of them were angels. Some of them, there was different classes of angels. Some of them were, um, uh, some of them were messengers. You know, there's different kinds of angels in the heavenly realms. But what happened was that, um, so these spirits start to have intercourse with women natural women, women, like human women. And so this offspring of human beings emerges that is half man, half angelic, and they're giants. So God's DNA already is corrupted. So this is why God had to destroy that generation. It had been corrupted. It was no longer man the the eventually what was going to happen is that all the offsprings of these women were all going to be were no longer going to be in the original context that they were created and so it's very interesting because the point is that they corrupted god's creation it says wickedness it says every imagination in their heart was wickedness Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So when people talk about, uh, people don't see this. You know, people, when people hear Christians, and, and rightfully so, you know, there's a big population of Christians that have leaned more because they use God's righteousness and, and holiness as a weapon of condemnation 
But the truth is, you ought to understand that sin, sin is the reason as why we can't live according to the original way God created us. Sin corrupts our bodies. You might think that when people say, you know, things like sex before marriage, you know, is bad or um, drugs and addiction and all the immorality we see out there in the world today, you might think it's just a group of people who are just looking to constrain people and prevent them from uh, doing, you know, my rights, my body, my choice. It's my life. I can do what I want with it. That's a low level thinking because you have not really read the original blueprint of your existence. Sin is what Satan used to corrupt God's creation. Remember, in Genesis, as I was reading, God created us in his own image. And so when we were created God's image, it, it, it did not go well with some of the angels. Like Satan. This is where pride started coming up. Because... Um, they're like, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That you've created this creature and you've created him in your own image. And on top of us, on top of that, you have elevated him above angels. You've created him in the God class. Meaning now we have to work for man. So you might be thinking that drinking alcohol, getting high, getting drunk, having as much sex as you want, is the epitome of life. But that's deception. No, that this is all not being able to control your soul. The, the scripture talks about the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. The three, three illnesses of man. You might think that that's the beauty of life, that that's the ultimate satisfaction in life, which is these things of being free to have sex with whoever you want, with however many women you want, or however many men you want, having no constraint in, in saying that, you know, looking at how God has ordained sex as, 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 a, as a consummate, as a vehicle, as a seal of spirits that brings man and woman into covenant, you know, you, you might think that all of these are things that restrict your livelihood and your fun and your existence. But I'm telling you, if you really understand things from the original context, you'll understand that it's not that God doesn't want you to have sex, but the original context in which sex was created was this vehicle of bringing man and woman together to become one spirit. Sex is, is something that brings the two fleshes become one. There's, there's a unity, just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one. Sex is a vehicle that you might think that marriage happens um, the day of the ceremony. But every time you have sex, that's a marriage. 
because sex was created as a way to consummate, to tie the knot of union. And it's in oneness, in, in, in this, when two people, when a man and a woman come together, that they become one. That's the power of sex is that it makes them one. It joins their spirits in scripture. And even the apostle Paul says, he still doesn't understand. It's a mystery how a physical act has so much spiritual consequence that when a man and woman have sex, their spirits are joined. Oh man. So what I'm trying to say is that we are already operating out of the class that God created us to be as holy creatures, as beautiful things. You know, if sex is maintained in its holiness and purity and the container marriage, it's beautiful. It has so much power. But once it comes out of the container marriage, it becomes a distraction. It becomes something that causes kids to be born out of wedlock and they have no parents. It becomes, it leads into now what we're now dealing with today, which is my body, my choice, which is now abortions. And now it's gone from something which is just supposed to be fun, but because that fun was had out of context, out of a protective container, a container of accountability, that now a new being is brought into existence because every time sex is hard is the 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 the, the purpose of sex, as you also go back in uh, the book of the, or the book of Genesis, is be fruitful and multiply. It's it, it was it's a way for God to populate the earth, to continue giving birth, you know, because God was not going to come back and recreate everything. So if God wanted a thousand people or desired to have a billion people living on the earth, he was not going to come back and start recreating every time. So he created a vehicle in which he created something, two people together, gave them the ability to procreate, and then everyone after them will not have to be created, but birthed. So the evidence is there, the statistics are there that a vehicle like sex outside of marriage, outside of two people saying, you're my wife, you're my husband, uh, I'm going to be loyal to you, and, and all of that, the, 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 the responsibility and, and, and um, what's the word? The, the, you know, allegiance, the, the covenant of marriage and sex is we know that any time it goes outside of the boundary of that career, outside of that container, its original context, it becomes a destructive force. It leads to things like prostitution. It leads to things like molestation, rape, human trafficking, sacrifices, greed, power, jealousy, envy. I mean, guys, this is you do not need to you know whether you believe in god or not the evidence is all around you but my point is i'm not just talking about sex i'm talking about 
the original context in which man was created, we have fallen from that because of sin. So all I'm trying to say is that you might look at sin, what the Bible calls sin, things like adultery, fornication, lust, uh, idolatry, disobedience, hatred, envy, jealousy, pride. All of these things that the scripture talks about as sin, sin nature, that for you in your own life, you might think that, oh, that restricts me from being me. What you don't realize is that it is because of those things that you cannot communicate. You cannot operate at the original context in which you're created. You are created in the God class. And that's why scripture also talks about some angels who later on became the angels who fell, who were re expelled from heaven. When they fell, it talks about how some of them refused to stay in their original habitation as angels and started infiltrating into women and having sex with them. It says they've been locked away under the earth. They've been locked away in, in, in prison, waiting judgment on judgment day. So all of this is I'm painting a picture of why the general theme from Genesis to Revelation is, is a redemptive plan. And why, because everything is out of course, that's why when he says, I've set thee over the kingdom over the nations to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, then you can build and plant, that you can see how all of this starts to fit together. Now, I talked about gifts. And I say gifts or what we call talents. These are things that come naturally to you. You know, things that you're born with. God has placed them into you to empower you. They come naturally to you. They come easily to you. You know, you do them effortlessly. These are what you call natural gifts or talents. However, it doesn't stop there. There's what we call spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is when as I said, you become an ambassador, you make the Lord Jesus Christ your savior, you make him your Lord and savior, becomes your master, someone who gives you your calling card, and then he also equips you with what scripture calls spiritual gifts. We find these in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it says, I'm now talking about spiritual gifts. And this is what it says, spiritual gifts. Again, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start from verse 4. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the, wor the word of wisdom through the spirit. So we have a spiritual gift of word of wisdom. That says to another word of knowledge through the same spirit. That says to another special faith, to another gifts of healings, to another working of miracles, that's five, to another prophecy, that's six, to another discerning of spirits, that's seven, to another different kinds of tongues, that's eight. To another 
interpretation of tongues. That's nine. Then it says, but one of the same spirit works in works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So there are natural gifts and also spiritual gifts. God gives you access to those spiritual gifts to further equip you in fulfilling your calling. Now, I also say that there's now what we call skills. And these are things that you can acquire through training, academia, school, colleges, all of these things. And what we're going to do is in the next episode, since I've already laid enough background and context on, again, more, more, more context for us why from Genesis to Revelation, we're all involved in God's redemptive plan because they're all the foundations, all the earth are out of course. God wants us to move. He's called us into action to do certain things. He already planned for this before we arrived here. I've already said that God's plan is bigger than what you can plan for your own life. No one can tap out God. You have giftings which fall into categories, natural giftings and spiritual giftings. And then you have skills. These are things that you acquire through training, school, and so forth. So in the next episode, I'll pick up from here. We'll talk about again why it shouldn't shock you, why some people are able to start advancing in accomplishing some dreams because they can start that engine with their natural giftings and later on onboard skills and, and things of that nature. And then I will continue to show you through scripture that yes, indeed, the Bible emphasizes the word calling. And I'll show you, it talks about callings and giftings. And most of the epistles written by the apostle Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament in every area, most of his prayers to the saints of the churches that he was writing to, he was praying that the eyes of the understanding will be open, that everybody will know the hope of their calling. So thank you for tuning in. See you on the next episode. Selah. This was episode 19 of Decoding How God Thinks About Work, Money, Business, Investing, and Leadership through the life and story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. We explored some biblical history that gives us more understanding of why all human beings today are caught up in God's redemptive plan. You see, until our existence in the next new heaven and earth, all of us are caught up in God's redemptive plan. There are five calls to actions man received after God had created him. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, after God had created man, he blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. In Psalms chapter 82 verse 5, God summarizes his view of the current state of the earth that he put in man's hands after creation. He says, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. 
And then in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, he gives us the six types of callings we are to answer to get back on track. God says, I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. In the next episode, we'll look at how you can build off of this understanding and start applying your natural gifts and talents, your spiritual gifts, as well as skill sets you can acquire to advance God's redemptive plan. Your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Give us a revelation and the truth of who you are.